0: This episode of the Get in the Game podcast featuring Mike Wilson is presented by Sports Spectrum and the Sports Spectrum Podcast Network. For more stories on sports and faith, check out our website, sportspectrum.com. Now, let's get in the game.
1: Welcome to Get in the Game podcast with your host, Scott Linebrink, former MLB star and current water mission advocate.
0: Oh yeah, and he also happens to be our dad. So let's dive right in.
1: Welcome back to the Get in the Game podcast. I'm your host, Scott Linebrink, and this is a place where we talk about what it means to uh, be about faith in action, Um, how to get from the sidelines into the game of serving and i'm pleased to have a friend of mine mike wilson on today Uh, mike is the founder is am i correct in saying that yes founder of of my life speaks and uh it's an organization that does great work in communities down in haiti i met mike about five years ago through a mutual contact and um and just really appreciated his love for people and his love for the lord so mike i'm i'm honored to have you here on the podcast
2: man i am i am stoked thank you so much for letting me be a part of this and, and I think when you said
1: five years i went like, wow that, that time has flown by it really has i know yeah I, I had to check it myself um but yeah it was i was new to water mission and i had heard it was actually my wife's cousin that had gone on a trip with you and your organization down yeah. to haiti and came back just really impacted and so often yeah. you know my work with water mission i take people out into the field and, uh, and they get to see it firsthand. They come back with a, a whole new worldview, a whole new perspective, um, and, and really a, a motivation to, to really be about helping in some of these places that they've now seen. And I'm sure you've yeah. seen the same thing.
2: We have, we have it. Well, I mean, that's how we wound up in Haiti. <clears throat> I went on a, I went on a short-term trip, a mission trip with, uh, an organization in 2003 with a friend of mine and, <clears throat> excuse me, and, uh, we, uh, we got there. I couldn't, I couldn't put it into words. What came home, told my family about it. My wife was like, that's great. Um, you keep doing it. I'm not, I'm not going out of the country. Uh, we'd been out of the country one time and got caught in a hurricane. It was just never going to happen again. And so um, we, uh, I finally got her to go in 2006 and she hated it. Just my, my, wife is a fix it person. Like she is one of those. She sees a problem. Let's fix it right now. And uh, what happened was you get to Haiti and once you get off that airplane and you walk out the doors of the airport you realize you you got to start there if you're going to fix it I mean it's it's that bad mm. and so we we rode to this village kind of far away and I tell people it's like that story in the Bible where Jesus went to the man that's that's sitting at the pool and asked him what do you want do you want to get well but there were a lot of sick people around well our village called Nepali that's our that's our person that's where we're starting that's where we we put roots down and that's where it is but I mean, if we wouldn't have come to Haiti and seen it and touched it and smelled it and stepped in it, I don't know that we'd have been there. It would have been really difficult to do that. So I have a lot of respect for people who have felt that call without ever being somewhere on
1: the, on the ground, but yeah, that's, I agree with you. It's, it's really important to be there. So you had that trip in 2006, um, walk me through that first experience and then how you came to start this organization, my life speaks and tell me what my life speaks is all about
2: yeah yeah thank you um so yeah we that first week we had uh, we had just multiple opportunities to be in different places for for a very short time doing different little i uh, kind of pit stops of ministry if that makes sense just here 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 and uh, on the way out my wife looked at me and there was a couple in front of us at the airport who had two little children and obviously they were uh, they were a european couple and they were they had two haitian children with them that they had just adopted so they are on their way out. And my wife looked at me and said, you know what? We should adopt from here. And I told her to her face, she was crazy because we have three biological sons. Uh, I have, uh, my oldest son is married and doing well. Uh, my middle son has severe special needs. And so that's kind of where a lot of our stuff revolves around. And then our third biological son is just, I mean, he's just easy going. One of the, one of the just coolest cats around, but. I say all that to say, you know, at that time we had three children, 10 years on, 10, 10 years old and under, and one of those had severe special needs. I mean, my, my son had cerebral, has cerebral palsy. He had a stroke when he was born. He's blind. And so the thought of adding another child into that was just scary and chaotic. But we, we continued to just talk about that. That just kind of kept up, but we kept going back to Haiti, kept going back to Haiti, kept going back to Haiti. And it was sometime after, um, a trip in 2000, uh, 2008 that my wife and I just said, you know, we really do feel like God may be leading us to do this adoption. And so we started praying about it, uh, read in Romans eight, where the Bible talks about, we are adopted into sonship. And when I read that out loud, I thought I've got to do this. This is, this is just what it is. And uh, so this is for us, this was a, um, a pivotal moment. It was a moment where everything changed. And so we, we talked about it. We talked to our kids, and January the 1st of 2009 we started the adoption process uh, we waited until then and, and we just we we can always go back it's an easy date to remember January 1st 2009 and so we started we downloaded all the paperwork and we got everything done and by July of 2009 we were a, a matched with a little girl so th- this this kind of plays into that so I'm not trying to, to go off on, on the rails here but um, we were matched with a little girl we met her we met her best friend it was just a really cool moment and every time we would go back to haiti which at this point we were going multiple times a year actually now leading trips uh through the the ministry that we were both a part of every time that we would go we would go see our little girl and her best friend and so sometime in november of 2009 the director of the orphanage came to us and said hey your daughter uh, her best friend is about to be sent to another orphanage where she's never going to have a chance to be adopted because she's about to age uh, about the age where we we don't adopt children out anymore she's about to be seven and when she turns seven it's just not a great opportunity for her it's, it takes too long whatever so we just said hey put our name down and we will hold her as a, a family we will we, we, sorry that's my son <laughs> if you can hear him we are we will we will guarantee that we will help find a family that is a godly family that'll work with us that'll work with you uh to to give her a great home and so we were in haiti in january of 2010 signing all the paperwork at the u.s embassy for our first daughter that we were we started with and um flew home january the 10th january the 12th earthquake happened oh my
1: goodness yeah
2: and and that's when uh that's the most devastating moment was all of our paperwork was gone in Um. the blink of an eye so the u.s embassy had taken On the 11th, they had taken all of our paperwork and given it back to the Haitian government. And when the earthquake hit, a lot of Haitian government buildings were destroyed. And Mm -hmm. ours, where where our paperwork was, was one of them. So through just an unbelievable, miraculous moment is all I can say, I got a chance to get into the country of Haiti with a friend of mine. And we got to the airport that on January the uh, 13th, the next day, we were able to get to the orphanage where the girls were. And I just kept them with me. And I said, we're going to figure something out and long story short, a week later, my, my first daughter Tia came home, uh, the, the, embassy was amazing. They worked with us and, and it was a, it's a crazy chain of events, how things happen. I mean, it involves things like NBC news, picking up our story and, and really famous people hearing about it and making phone calls on our behalf. And then, um, I remember we were celebrating at the house. So Tia came home January the 19th, we're celebrating at the house on that Sunday afternoon. And you know, they tell you, when you adopt a child, don't don't really change their their world up too much. Well, we did, we had probably 40 people in our house just celebrating. And um, my wife got a phone call from customs and immigration. And my heart sank. I'm like, Oh, no, Mm. they're gonna come take our daughter away from us. We've been praying about this for years. And uh, they had put our second daughter, Naika on a plane. And she was coming to Orlando at that moment. And they said, Hey, you need to go get her. Oh, my. So, so I was able to fly down then on the, the 26th and meet my daughter, Naika, and got her and brought her home. And so, within a matter of two weeks, we went from a family of three to a family of five. Wow. And so, all of that leads then to the next part of where My Life Speaks came in. And My Life Speaks really was birthed in the moment when my daughters met my son. And so, my son was special needs. His name is Lane. Uh, Lane again he has he has transformed our life my older my older son Dylan my younger son Eli they both have lived a life with a brother with special needs they see people with special needs differently. They understand that, that people with special needs are not somebody to, to be afraid of but they are more somebody that that you can actually interact with and so they've done that their whole lives but my daughters came home from this voodoo culture that says hey if you are deformed or you have a disability or you've got some sort of issue, then you are cursed. And if you are cursed, the only thing that can happen is that the the evil spirits that are cursing you must be set free. So you have to be, you have to be killed, Uh, you have Mm. to be sacrificed. So when we started understanding a little bit more about that, and understanding a little bit more about what's going on and watching our girls who had grown up in a Christian Haitian orphanage, uh, not even walk into the room where our son slept because they were afraid they would quote unquote catch it. Wow. Um, and we're talking a five year old and a seven year old at this point. And it took us over a year of them living in our house and, and doing th- things together before they kind of came together in that moment and realized, hey, this is my brother. But so all that being said, God was working on us a different way. Missy and I, my wife, were, were leading trips to Haiti. We were in Port au Prince one day. And we saw a woman trying to get on the back of a pickup truck. And so in in Haiti, the the typical, I guess you would say, um, public transportation is something called a tap tap. Uh, And I tell people, if you're looking for a 1970s Toyota diesel pickup, I know exactly where it is. It's in Haiti because they do not die. But this this woman was trying to, to get onto the back of this truck. Her legs did not work. Best thing I could guess, she probably had something like spina bifida but she was walking on her hands and she got up to the the back of the truck and grabbed the rail and was pulling herself up. And I literally watched some, a grown man behind her step on her and then get into the truck. And then she Mm -hmm. fell off. Other people passed her. She, they got on, filled the tap, tap tap up, it went on. And this woman just shook it off and went to the next tap tap where the exact same thing happened to the next tap tap where somebody on the tap tap as it was taking off instead of helping her pushed her off and Missy and I sat there and watched this and we're about 100 yards or maybe no not 100 yards about 50 yards away from this and we're getting closer and closer and I'm thinking I got to jump out I got to do something and this woman is the first one to the to the last tap tap in line and she pulls herself up and she gets as far up in the front next to the cab as she can be and she is not going anywhere they're not going to get her out of this place and so it was like nobody would sit next to her and I just that moment for me was what is going on here? So I started mm. really asking a lot of questions. Why am I not seeing people in wheelchairs? Why do I not see people who look different? Why do mm. my girls act like this? And then we found out the voodoo influence has said, hey, I mean, if you're different, you're different, and you're not you are not worth it. And so where I would say I stand on the phrase that we are created in the image of God, that I believe that with my whole heart, I believe that my son, even though he has special needs, even though his brain doesn't look like my brain does. He is created in the image of God. In fact, he has shown me the joy of God in moments when I've needed it the most. At my wife's grandmother's funeral when someone was telling a funny story and it was so sad and he just busted out laughing. He didn't care because he was filled with joy in that moment. And so that's that's kind of where we've come from. So we, we now are interacting with Haiti and we're watching a little bit of this stuff happen. And it was just it was a lot. And so my life speaks was born from the passion to help people like our son lane who may not be verbal, who may not be able to communicate, but to be able to help them say, my life's telling a story. And so everybody's life has a story. I mean, Scott, your life has a story. When we sat down that first day eating breakfast, I knew, yeah, you're a baseball player, but the real the real you, there's something so much bigger than that. There's so much something so much bigger than, hey, I, I, I pitched for years at the highest of the high, there's something even greater than that and it's not a trophy it's not something on this earth it is something in the heavens and and it is it is god and it is through salvation and this is what it, and i remember that conversation just kind of rolled out and i was i'm like yeah this this is good people right here this is a, one he's a good old texas boy and number two he's just he's the real deal so that's what my life speaks to me you i can tell you all day that i'm a great baseball player but just like we talked about a little bit ago I'd have to get my parents to send over the ribbons and the participation trophies that I got in little league. Cause that's as far as I can go, you yeah. know, <laughs> so saying one thing, but your life's telling a different story. Yeah. So just, just be about the whole thing. That's, that's what my life speaks is.
1: Mike, I thank you for sharing all of those stories and experiences. Um, I want to go back to something and affirm something that I believe is so important. And it's, it's something that I have come to realize here lately, or just had somebody teach on this. And you talked about the paralyzed man at the pool, you know, and Jesus asking him, what do you want? Do you want to be healed? And, you know, every time I read that, I almost, you know, thought like, well, of course the guy wants to be healed. I mean, who would say no in that moment, even if you didn't know who Jesus was? Yes, I want to be healed. Um, But the way that, that this teaching that I was a part of recently talked about was that perhaps Jesus asked that question so that he could involve him in the process. And, and Jesus already saw the path forward. He knew how he was going to heal him. He, he knew everything that was going to happen in the moments after that. But he wanted he wanted to affirm, one, that that man was in a, a state of depravity, and he wanted to get out of it. He wanted to move beyond that. And Jesus was there to involve him in it and ask him, what do you want? Yes, I want to be healed. And by saying that, now he gets to be a part of that process. And your story of that woman getting on that tap-tap, and seeing that and and you know just the competitive struggle that that is just in our selfish nature i mean it's a part of our hearts that we just we can't we can't change um you know but by by the very definition of our hearts i mean the bible says our hearts are wicked and cruel and we like to think that we're good people that there's some good in us but the only thing good in us comes from god and so unless we tap into that unless we allow that to come out um, you know that that same selfishness is is going to come out invariably in all of us. But uh, but thank you for sharing that. Thank you for for talking about how you witnessing that helped move you to action, help motivate you to be a part of establishing this organization with helping people in a place uh, the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere. And you and I have talked a lot about Haiti. There's a lot to be done uh, yet in Haiti as as we yeah. sit here and speak. Yeah. Just a few weeks ago, um, the president was assassinated. And and you know better than I do yeah. um the political upheaval that has been going on now for years. And and this is just, you know, really put them back in, in even um, you know, more of a, of a of a depraved state. And um and I know there's some people out there that want to help. And that's that's really what I want to talk about on this podcast is how can we equip people to help in the right way? Because there's definitely a right way and a wrong way to help. And I'd love for you to just share your thoughts on that.
2: Yeah, well, well, first of all, yes, thank you. Um, I, I will say just, you know, a little 30,000 foot view. Haiti is in a power vacuum right now. It's just, it's just a crazy thing because the, the legal line of su- succession is impossible because if the president dies, then it, the person who's supposed to lead is the president of the, the Haitian Supreme Court, Haitian courts. Well, he had just died uh, about a, a week or so before the president died and so there was not somebody in there and then the prime minister had just been appointed; a new prime minister had just been appointed the day before the president was assassinated and he had not been ratified and so the temporary, their interim prime minister i mean it's been a it's been a jockeying for position it's been a lot of people and you know power corrupts and, and i'm not trying to to point fingers at any specific person but you know the opportunity to lead a country and when you look at the history of things, the, the leadership usually does pretty well. And even though the, the, the country itself is such a poor country, leaders, leaders are doing really well. So um, that's that's a lot of that. And um, so what I would say, first of all, that's a great, great question you just asked. How do you help properly? Um, here's the hardest thing for anybody who's listening to this in a in a, in a western country uh you know an advanced country as we would say america a lot of europe things like that are you got to take that hat off for just a second you got to take your your thinking of the way and this was i'll tell you this is how it came to me so um one of early on 2000 we launched my life speaks in january 2012 our whole thing was we want to be there proverbs 38 31 eight speak up for those who can't speak for themselves i mean we are going to be a voice for those who need a voice we're going to help and honestly we came in with a very excuse me american mindset which says hey i got this figured out i uh i know what you need Mm -hmm. and so we met with our community our village leadership Um, and just like a lot of places there is a village leadership that village leadership says that you know we have a president we have a vice president we have a treasurer all these things and um, we met with the, the village leadership and said, Hey guys, here's what we're going to do. We're going to come in. We're going to paint your basketball court. Cause it's, it's looking really bad. We're going to fix your soccer field. We're going to do uh there, there was some other little project we were going to do. And we kind of expected people to look at us with amazement of, man, you guys are brilliant. Look at all the great things you're doing. And uh, the guy who was the spokesman for the, the village leadership, I'll never forget. His name is Yagel. Yagel looked at me and he said, Man, thank you so much. That 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 means a lot. Um, as far as a basketball court, you'll have to tell us because we really we really don't know a lot about basketball. We uh, we play soccer here, and so the the basketball court's been used for soccer for little little tournaments along the way. So <clears throat> if you want to if you want to paint that, you'll have to help us. Uh, our our village soccer field, that's great that you want to fix it. I mean, we've been using that exact same soccer field for sixty years. It seems to work for us, but um, you know that's uh, that's hey that's what you want to do. That's that's it. And then he he talked about the third one. I still can't remember what that is. And then he said this famous phrase that I will never forget in my life. But if you want to know what we want, we would like to have clean water. And I'm that's not a plug for you. The water mission, we didn't talk about that. But that was the first thing I his mouth. We'd like to have clean water. Number two, the river that runs through our community. I would call it a creek where I grew up, but they call it a river. The river that runs through, we'd like to teach people not to change their oil of their motorcycle there. We would like to, to to teach people not to let their cows use the bathroom there. We would like to have people not uh, brushing their teeth in that water. Uh, and then he talked about, we, we'd really love to have electricity. I mean, I don't think you know this, but a lot of kids are doing their homework by a, an oil or kerosene lamp at night. They, uh, they don't have electricity to do it. And, and sometimes houses burn down because they're made of thatch or they're, they're, they're stick houses. And uh, it'd be great not to have to have a, a fire going in there. And I remember sitting there and feeling like I had just looked into a nuclear blast. Just what? And and this this the most arrogant thought ever came through my mind. And it's just confession time. I didn't know you guys were smart enough to think that. I mm-hmm. that's really what I thought. I didn't I didn't know. Mm-hmm. So if I can give you any advice whatsoever, if you're coming into a different culture, you better listen. You better listen mm-hmm. a lot. Take your take your preconceived notions off, but but ask some ask some questions. I mean, again, I, I'm not going to lie to you and tell you that everybody in Haiti has good intentions and they they see people willing to help and go, oh great, here's what we really need. Now, a lot of times it's hey, if you'd build me a house or you'd buy me a motorcycle or you'd do this or you'd fix this or get me get me get me, you can you got to be able to to sense through that. But once you see somebody who's genuinely concerned for others, for their community, for the people around them, listen, what do you need? What do you walk with those people mm-hmm. which is really hard because it's hard to do that sitting in a, in a chair you know in the us it's hard to do that it's hard to to, to take that walk so you you, you got to find somebody you trust you got to know what's going on and you know my my big i'm gonna get on my soapbox for a second but the one thing i'll tell you is the last thing haiti needs is the stuff you don't want um mm-hmm. i cannot tell you how many times we have been contacted as an organization by a family or a, a, another ministry or something of, hey, we've just got new uh, computers. We'd like to donate all of our old computers to Haiti. So like we talked about kind of before we went on air, that's great. Who's going to fix them when they break? Uh, do they all have power charging cords? Great. How long do they, are they are they all portable? Because these people don't, we don't have electricity in the majority of our village. Uh, and everybody says, well, you should want this. Because I would want this if I were you. No, you wouldn't. That's why you're giving it away. And so, again, it's it's not a dumping ground for things you don't want. It's what what do you really need? And I'll be real candid with you. I I would have said 10 years ago, man, we got to get everybody electricity. And then they need to have internet. They need to have the TV. They need to have all this stuff. It's, it's just part of it. It's the American dream. They don't have the American dream. They don't, they, they want to serve. Honestly, they want to survive. We did a survey the very first year that we were there. We, the first thing, one of the first things we did in our community was a program for kids who were hungry. And uh, it was all run by our Haitian community. And, and, and I, I jokingly say, if a Haitian calls you poor, you're really poor, but they would bring kids to us and say, Hey, you got to feed this kid. Now, if somebody looks at me and says, Hey, you got to feed this kid. I'm going to feed that kid. I mean, uh, kids are not going to go hungry adults are not going to go hungry the elderly are not going to go hungry as long as we can do this i'm not going to sit in my house in haiti and and eat and and people sitting outside being being starving it's just it's it can't happen so we brought these kids in and we the the very first month that we were there we we, we did a survey with them asking them about have some different questions we had about 40 kids in a feeding program at that time they didn't know their mom's name they didn't know their dad's name they didn't know how many siblings they had you get to those questions and you start asking things like, what do you want to do when you grow up? What, what do you think would be a fun job to have? The, the, the bottom line to all of it was, I just want to be alive. I just want to survive. And so now we've been working on the ground continuously. We have boots on the ground. We were there. That's home for us for the last 10 years. And in those last 10 years, now you ask that question, you get kids saying things like, I want to be a, I want to be a doctor. I want to be a farmer. I wanna be a nurse, I want to be a teacher. They've started to not only hear those things, but they've seen those things, those people doing that. And they look at it, it's not worried about survival anymore. So now that they're not worried about survival, we want them to think critically. We want, we want to empower them to make those decisions. So to answer to go back and, and tie this in and answer your question, what's the greatest thing that we can do? How do we help properly? We got to let God in be before us, beyond us. And so when God births a vision in a child or in an adult, that's so much greater than us telling them, here's what you should do. Does that, does that make sense to you? Is that that tracking?
1: Yeah. uh, There's a lot of thoughts, you know, that I want to affirm here too, because you've you've uh, you got some good ones. And I love it. I I told you, I love it when you get on your soapbox because um, you know, kind of (laughs) what I'm off way, (laughs) Yeah. No, stay up there for a few minutes more, but, um, you know, that, that's really what prompted me to reach back out to you is, is that you had written this open letter, you put it up on LinkedIn, and I read it, um, and it was after, you know, all the, the recent issues in Haiti and the response that, you know, hey, when is the U.S. government or the military going to step in and fix this, And and that's not what it's about. And any of us that have been in Haiti and seen the beauty of that culture, the natural resources that exist. And, and like you said, the fact that there are people down there that have dreams and hopes and the, and the biggest, the hardest part of it is that they're, they're put in a situation where those, those hopes are impossible. And so if we can, yeah. if we can come alongside them, if we can, you know, in, in water mission, we say it all the time, we enter into these communities as guests and we, we, you know, we ask to be invited to come alongside them, to help them, uh, to show them that, Hey, if water is you know one of the biggest things that you want, we can help you with that. Here's how we've done it in over 500 communities in Haiti, and and this is what a solution could look like. You know, can can we tell you more about this? But but that approach is so much better than like you said. Hey, I'm from America. I got it all figured out. I mean, here in America, we're we're born on third base and we think we hit a triple. Um, it, it's yeah. it's not oh, about that. We're, we're the product of many generations and people before us that have laid the foundation and we are now benefiting from that and yes we're a prosperous country yes we've got some things to offer uh but it has to be in a spirit of humility and it has to be one that that wants to come alongside people and and build a relationship with them and um you know one one word that i always throw out there is empowerment um but i'd love for you to talk about what what does empowerment mean versus um, just relief or, you know, providing a temporary solution. What does that mean to you?
2: Yeah, that's,
1: that's such a great question,
2: man. Empowering people is giving them the opportunity to think for themselves, Mm -hmm. giving them the opportunity to make some real decisions, not do you want the chicken or do you want the beef, but do you want to eat at this restaurant? And as crazy as that is, you know, we think about things like that. We've got apps on our phone and we can order, we can have it delivered. We can go pick it up. We can go to the drive through in Haiti. You show up at a restaurant and if they don't have the food, I mean, you get what they have. So teaching people, Hey, you don't like that. What's it, what's a better option for that? What's, what's a bigger option for that? And so I'll tell you straight up, excuse me another soapbox that i do tend to get on is critical thinking we've got to teach people to think critically is not only is this a good idea is it the best idea and then can i make it happen can i be a part of this to the point of seeing it through and so we actually just hired a haitian business development director haitian guy his whole job is to come alongside the people in our community and help them start a business if that's what they want it's not that we're going to provide them all the tools we're going to give them the coaching we're going to give them the the understanding but if somebody comes to us and says hey i want to start and i'll use that restaurant as an example i want to start a restaurant i want to cook for people we only have one restaurant it's on the far side of town our far side of the village i'm going to do something different great tell me your business plan i mean that you want to talk about people's eyes just glazing over you got to empower them and so that's where our business development director comes he sits down with them and says okay your business plan is you've got to write not only write it down but you've got to see and again, you, you work, see, see what it's going to look like. But then you, you've got to walk through and say, Hey, are you willing to be the guy? If nobody shows up, are you built, are willing to be the guy or the girl to make this happen? Will you stay there all day? Or do you just want to own a business so that does you get money? And so empowering people to dream, to make decisions for themselves, to have some real understanding. And so for us as a ministry, as a Christ-centered ministry, our first offering of that is we want to empower you to know true freedom. We want to empower you to know the truth of the story of the gospel, not because of something you're going to get from it, but because of what God did, because he loves you, here is his son, Jesus. And it is that, it really is that simple. You can follow him and he will then come and set you free. Doesn't mean you're going to France or the US or somewhere else. Doesn't mean you're gonna have somebody drop a bag of money on your front porch, it's it's not going to happen. But what it does mean is, your life here is not the end all. And, and I will tell you, an older man in the community is the one that really hit me with that, because I, I asked him, I said, do you ever get frustrated that you don't have enough food, that you you, you tend to always seem to be hungry? And he looked at me, and and, and Scott, I'm not kidding, you, he just smiled. And he said, you know, one day, I'm going to be in a place that has an unlimited buffet. Mm-hmm. So why would I worry about food here? And so I mean, you, you can kind of take a hands off approach of oh, it's all going to work out. But this guy works hard. He does everything, and and he usually does without, so some of his family can have some more. But he's empowered to make those decisions. It doesn't look like I, I would want it to. Be you know what I'm saying? It doesn't look like an American side of things. Of this is this is what it should look like. It it really looks like Haiti. And um, you know, kind of referencing that LinkedIn article. How how uncool are you if you're like scoping LinkedIn articles out? I guess, but um or writing them even that but the thing about the linkedin article that i would i would tell you about is you know if you go back and you look at haiti and you look at haiti's freedom and their independence and everything that's come along from 1804 when haiti won its independence until 1868 when haiti was actually recognized on the global stage I mean, you think about that that's 64 years that this country is so I mean, it, it was known as the pearl of the Antilles. I mean, it had mm. mahogany, it had indigo, it had coffee, it had sugar. Made more money for France as a French colony than all thirteen U.S. colonies combined made for for England. Wow! When I mean, you think about that for a second, I didn't know that. Yeah, and and they couldn't trade. They they weren't recognized because the United States wouldn't recognize them because if well if 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 the slaves in the U.S. find out that there's a Free Republic, just south of here. Maybe that's going to cause a problem. And so, you know, you start to look at those things, and you you find out really politically where things happen, where things go wrong, where people tend to um, look out for themselves. And so, Haiti's been beat down and beat down and beat down. You know, story that's circulating now is one that we've known for a while. When Haiti won its independence, they were forced to pay France reparations for the lost slave labor
1: mm-hmm.
2: now you think about that we just defeated you we've won our independence and france shows back up with gunboats and a full army and says hey you got two options you're either going to repay us or we're going to we're going to go to war and we're going to eliminate you this time and so haiti paid on that from the early 1800s until night the mid 1900s like 1920 or something 1915 1920 wow millions millions of francs french french millions and then in 1915 the united states came in to to the, the very similar situation this so this is why I, I got on my soapbox on this 1915 the u.s comes in and they occupy haiti because the president of haiti had been assassinated and what happened is oh well, we're going to help you out and that, that help came in the form of well we want this or we're going to do this or we're going to keep this happening and it was really a, a political or a, a uh, political move. And it was also trying to keep uh, like Germany or different places from coming and, and setting up camp there. that's so close to the United States shore. But when, when the Americans left after their 15 year, I think it was like 1929 and their, their, their time there in Haiti, the Haitians were so mad. They destroyed the railroad that the U S had made. They burned the buildings down. They just, they felt so oppressed. And so what I say is I live in Haiti. I mean, I'm there for the last seven years. That's, that's home for us. We we live in a village. I'm still a visitor. And I am because as much as I want to be Haitian, as much as I want to be a part of it, the people in my community, I mean, yes, they know me, they love me, they have a, a nickname for me. I, they call me patamat, which is means tomato paste, which is kind of funny because um we had, a, we had a child that we worked with that uh, autism, and he couldn't say Pastor Mike, so he called me Pot Tomat, and and it's just stuck. And so when I go to another village and somebody asks me what my name is, and I'll tell them, they're like, you know what that means, right? You know they're calling you tomato paste. Like, yeah, I know.
1: There's um, worse names to be called.
2: There is. Now trust me, I've been called. Um, I've been but, called them in the bullpen <laughs> by the opposing fans. Yeah. <laughs> so so the the community rallies around us because they know that we we are there, and they know that we're we're part of, it, but we're also we also know that we're we're visitors. Mm-hmm. And, and I love them. I love our community, it's family. In fact, when we travel, my kids still stay there with friends there. but just by nature of of what I've been through, I, I'm still a visitor. and I don't say that to say I don't love, but I say it because I have to to look at it and say, I don't know the best way to do this. I want my community. To have the ability to lead. I want Haitians
1: to lead Haitians. Yeah, yeah.
2: that's that's a big thing for us.
1: That's big, yeah. Uh, uh, the, the word I was thinking of as you were talking is stakeholder. And uh, I still yeah. remember my first trip to Haiti. We got off the plane and we're riding uh, to this orphanage where we're going to stay. And I remember looking at this um, this man on the side of the road who had just, you could tell there was no hope in his eyes. And it was, you know, I, the thought went through my mind, what makes this guy get up in the morning? If there's no hope, if there's no job prospects, if I can't even take care of my own family, you know, what what's going to keep me going? And another thing that came to my mind was um, this this child that um, we were interacting with and we had some candy. So we gave him a piece of candy, you know, just kind of as a goodwill gesture. And he opens up the candy and puts the candy in his mouth and throws a wrapper. It doesn't even think, like just throws the wrapper on the ground. <laughs> and we both, like me and my friend that were there, both witnessed that and thought, wow. I mean, he didn't even give it a thought that that needs to go in a trash can because there's no stakeholder mentality. Because when, when you do exactly what you say, when you come in and, and you say, here, we'll tell you how to fix it. We'll build all the infrastructure. We'll do everything. And then we leave. Well, you know, for, as a Haitian, I'm thinking, well, the, you know, that's the Americans. That's uh, that's their water project. That's their railroad. You know, why do I care what happens to it? And they're even willing to blow it up just to spite, you know, the people that came in and, and did that in the first place. So what we see is as a way to help is really sometimes only creating, you know, a shell. Uh, it, it's hollowed out. You know, it, it might be providing the money and the resources on the front end. But there's nothing there to sustain it. There's nothing inside that, that equips people to make decisions and to operate and maintain and make sure that all of that stuff exists. So I would say for anybody listening to this, you know, whether you're talking about Haiti, whether you're talking about Africa, anywhere in the world where we talk about developing countries that need help, these are the kind of questions we need to be asking. If we are going to start helping, we need to be helping in a way that empowers, that creates stakeholders. Yeah that uh that comes alongside them and involves them in the process
2: oh and 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 you guys water mission i mean you you you, how many how many water projects do you have in haiti daniel we'll just use that do you know by by
1: chance over 500
2: mentioned okay so you got 500 and let's say you don't teach somebody some haitian you don't teach them someone who's living there boots on the ground to fix the smallest problem just just a little crack something that went, went wrong you know, we, we'd call it a 10 cent part here. If you don't teach somebody to do that, well, that's project number 247. Mm-hmm. How long is it going to take before you can come back and fix it that people are going to settle? And that's that's the thing. They settle for, it's just broken. We, we've that's got some right. bump over here and, and we can't use it. And mm-hmm. if, you're not, if you're not walking with people along that and you're not accessible or, or you know, again, you can teach someone to do that. And if they, they are empowered and they feel like they can make that decision, they're gonna they're gonna go in there and they're gonna that's gonna be the best maintained water pump mm-hmm. in the country. And yeah. and that's why, because it's theirs, it's that stakeholder mentality of this is for us. Mm-hmm. It is not for me, it is for us. And so that's that's the biggest I, I agree so wholeheartedly with what you just said.
1: Yeah, you said something good earlier too that I wanted to repeat. Um, you know, this idea that Yeah, Haiti doesn't want our leftovers and God doesn't want our leftovers, whether it's serving or giving, we are to give him our best. That's when it talks about first fruits. It's not, hey, I'll use everything that he's given me and and if I got 10% 10 left over, you know, I'll I'll hand it over to God. No, he talks about you give that first, Your, your tithes and offerings come first and then you know we take the rest and and we use it for ourselves and and just that that mindset that mentality is is so huge for us and how we see what god has given us and how the people that we're serving see the way that we're so ser- you know if if we give them our our leftover t-shirts and shoes that are all worn out what does that say about how we value them as people
2: that's a great that's point that's such a great statement mm-hmm. I, I mean i'm i'm telling you that is that is what you call the grand slam right there because mm-hmm. If you look at people and serving people as if you are serving God, you know, Hey, what you do to the least of these. And and again, I'm not saying Haitians are the least of these because that's, that's been said a lot. And I don't, I don't really believe that. I think there's some Haitians who live on faith that I'll never understand. But if you play that out and you say, I am serving you as if I am serving God himself, man, we are giving God garbage Mm -hmm. and you know, the, the thing you, you, you find out, and you may have ridden, ridden by this area as well, but I mean, you ride by the port in Port au Prince where the market is, there are hundreds of thousands of tons of clothes just bailed that have been shipped over, and people are just picking through them. And so, when people ask us, Hey, what do you need? We're going to send you some clothes. No, we don't need clothes. We've got them. We, people have access to clothes all the time. What they don't have is of these basic things, and and that's the hard part because people like to give stuff because it's tangible, you can feel it. I gave X to this, giving financially to a a, one an organization, a ministry, a nonprofit, whatever it is that you understand and you trust. That's a big deal because, I mean, our stuff can be replaced, but once we give money, that's that that's when you start messing with people in the in in the developed world
1: mike um last couple of minutes here of our conversation i'd love for you just to tell us what are your plans for the future what are your hopes and dreams for my life speaks and for haiti in general yeah well real quick uh so my life speaks we focus on really
2: four areas our pillars if you will number one is families Uh, like a lot of people we we heard early on that there were a lot of orphans in haiti those numbers tend to be skewed a little bit because about 80% of kids living in an orphanage have a family member within four miles of where they are. So we want to, we want to keep those families together. And then in situations where a child's truly been orphaned or abandoned, when the government gets involved, we created a foster care system for that. And so, um, in our area, there's, there's really no foster care whatsoever. So we created it with the goal of handing it to the government and saying, here's the way you can do it in very rural areas. There have been, uh, groups that have come in and they've worked with the government for for urban areas but even in that there's an income requirement that people usually can't meet our our income or our, our finances in our area are all agricultural it's very bartering so people yes they may live on two us dollars a day but they're trading a bowl of rice for beans or beans for whatever soap or whatever so that it, it's still working It's it's a really good economy so the families that we work with, we work to help mom and dad keep their kids together. And if, if if there's anything that we can do to keep the family together, we will do that. So that spurred for us education, where we do a general and special education together. It's an inclusive school. I won't say it's the only one in the country, but to our knowledge, it's the only one in our region. Well, we, we've yet to find another one. So we have uh, up through fifth grade starting this year, fifth grade, and we have four special ed classrooms and they are integrated and they work together again it's that we are all created in the image of god and these young people now are the ones championing our cause of just because somebody's different does not mean that they are disposable so mm-hmm. it's really funny to watch a kindergartner having a really in-depth conversation with an adult who's making fun of a child with special needs and like no no that's my friend and then we're not going to talk about them and so uh and then we do public health as well so public health is anything that we can do to get and keep people healthy. We have a clinic offering, we have therapy, physical occupational therapy, things like that. And so we've grown. Um, what I would say, I'd say all that to say the future for us is we want to take this. Uh, it, it's not a, it's not a My Life Speaks brand. Uh, we we want other people to have it. it I, we don't want our name to be on it. But what we want to do is we want to give that to other villages. We want to give that to other small rural areas that they can turn around and say, hey, this makes sense. You know, we we live in the community. We're, the thing about, excuse me, the thing about our community that's been so impressive to me is if our community really knows that there's somebody that's hurting, they will, they will all rally around them and they will, excuse me, they will, they will work with them. So that's what we want to do. We want to hand that over to other people, other organizations, other ministries. And it's hard because, you know, a lot of times people, we we, we get worried about the, the donor dollars and things like that, but man, it's not about that it's all God's and he's seen it and he's got it. He's got a plan. Um, And so what we want to do is give it to anybody. So that's,
1: that's kind of our future. That's awesome. Well, I I love the name. My life speaks your life and your life of your family has definitely spoken on behalf of those in Haiti. You're living it out. Um, You got those two little girls there. And, uh, and I've, just really appreciate the work that you're doing. For anybody that wants to check out more, go go check out mylifespeaks.com. Uh, they're doing some yep. great work down there in Haiti. Mike, thank you for the time. Thank you for the wisdom that you have shared through your experiences. It's been a real pleasure. Thanks, bro. I appreciate it. Thank you all for listening.
0: Thank you for listening to the Get in the Game podcast with Scott Weinbrink part of the Sports Spectrum Podcast Network. You can connect with Scott and follow him on Twitter at Scott Linebrink. We want to invite you to subscribe to the other shows on our network. We'd also love for you to check out our Sports Spectrum magazine full of great stories and content covering the intersection of sports and faith. You can subscribe at SportsSpectrum.com. It's $18 for an entire year subscription. Again, the website to subscribe is SportsSpectrum.com.